0: It's clear in the world of today, it's either you're disrupting or you're being disrupted.
1: The ability to coordinate and connect work has never been more important. The power of ideas, the power of knowledge is stronger than anything on earth.
2: Hi, I'm Joe Cahill, I'm the Chief Customer Officer for Project Management Institute. PMI is the professional society for project professionals and changemakers. Today's podcast focuses on two changemakers who disrupted their own professional paths to pursue their passion to make work fun. Listen to their story and explore how they are enabling transformational change and helping to reshape the future of work.
1: Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining us for this Center Stage podcast. I'm Steve Townsend, PMI's Networks Engagement Facilitator, sitting in for Joe Cahill. There's a lot of talk about the organization of the future, from flat structures to accountable teams, enabling leadership, high productivity, and engaged employees. Is that the future, or is it now? We are going to explore that question and others about the future of work and making work fun with today's guests. Pim Desmourais and Joost Minar, co-founded Corporate Rebels whose mission is to make work more fun by identifying companies that have innovated how to engage people with their work to produce stronger results. They've written the book, Corporate Rebels, Make Work More Fun. We're joined today by Pim Desmouret. Pim's educational background is in industrial engineering, and after working three years in a corporate job, he became frustrated with the outdated working practices that challenge productivity, creativity, and performance. With his partner, Eust, he set off to research, write about, and share knowledge of organizations that make work fun. Pim, thank you so much for joining us today. I, uh, I reached out to my network and I said, who should we be talking to about the future of work? And your name came up more than once, so I really appreciate this opportunity to talk to you today.
0: Yeah, Thanks a lot for having me. I'm happy to be here.
1: Now, you and Yus refer to yourself as rebels who quit your corporate jobs in workplaces that you felt were bureaucratic and uninspiring. Can you set the scene for our listeners back in 2016? What industries and sectors were you working in, and what about that prompted you to throw caution to the wind?
0: Yeah, so uh, going five years back in time, it's... um completely different time that we were then, uh, living in. Um, and, and the jobs we were having back then were completely different to what we're doing now. Um, as you mentioned, I studied industrial engineering and after I graduated, I started working for a large company that a, a Dutch company. Uh, so I'm from the Netherlands um, and I was working for this Dutch company. That's making baggage handling systems for airports. Um, and it perfectly fit with what I had studied for. So I was actually doing the thing I loved, um, but the, well, the work itself was quite interesting um, and I really enjoyed that. But the way the company was structured, the way the work was organized was actually getting in the way of me truly enjoying my work. Um, and the same experience, uh, or Joost had exactly the same experience. We've been friends from a very young age um, known each other from, from high school. Um, and we both worked in completely different fields. So Joost studied nanotechnology he started to work for a big German company, um, but lived in Barcelona for that job. Um, as they were like really doing the really nerdy stuff, like really nanotechnology stuff that they were doing in the, in, in the laboratories there. Um, and he loved that work as well. Um, he had been trained for it, studied for it for a very long time, and then started to work in these labs, which he thoroughly enjoyed. The problem, however, once again, was not so much with the work itself, but with the work environment. And so the fact that there were um, bosses telling him what to do the same as I experienced the the fact that there was no freedom to, for example, set your own working hours or determine your own working location. Um, Decision-making was slow and frustrating and and unclear and and all kinds of other things that a lot of people will probably recognize from their own work environment. And we got completely fed up with it. So we decided to quit these jobs um, to Instead, start looking for companies that are doing things differently to research how work can actually be made more fun for more people around the world. Because unfortunately, it wasn't just a problem that we experienced personally, but it's a problem that a lot of people around the world are experiencing, that they're simply not enjoying the work that they're doing. So with Corporate Rebels, we set out to make a change in that and to to look for companies, um, but also to, to learn from academics and entrepreneurs and companies that have reinvented their ways of working Um, and show that it's not just more fun to work in these different types of structures, but also that it's much more rewarding for the company itself. Yeah, I can understand
1: that. Uh, I support PMI's Knowledge Initiative, and we've done some research on the degree to which organizations leverage people's knowledge. And we came across a study that indicated that most people felt that organizations only used about 30 to 40% of the knowledge that they could contribute to the organization. So to your point, people feel that they have a lot more that they can deliver, but organizations aren't really tapping that. So let's talk a little bit about your bucket list of companies that are changing that status quo. Tell us a little bit about how did you identify these organizations and what were some of the criteria for inclusion on this
0: list? Yeah. So to give a little bit of background, so as I mentioned, we studied in completely different fields. So we had no clue how to work, uh, how to organize work in a better way. So we had to start from scratch. So we we made a list of, of pioneers around the world that we wanted to learn from to understand how work could be done in a different and better way. So at first, this was just the first names that came to mind. So we, we knew that Google was trying some innovative things. We knew that Spotify apparently had a, um, an alternative way of working that was interesting to research in more detail. Um, we had heard of m- much more radical examples. Like uh, we read a book called Maverick, still one of the best books I've read on the topic by Ricardo Semler, how he transformed his Brazilian manufacturing company into an um, extremely liberated workplace. So it really started from just having a conversation, thinking about the ones that we wanted to research in more detail. Um, And we added them to this list. We call it the bucket list because it's kind of a list of pioneers we wanted to research before we would die to understand, like, how can we actually make work better? So that's how it started. And over time, it grew. So the more we learned about companies that were challenging the status quo, the more we added them to that list. Um, And it's... So there's not really fixed criteria. Um, the main criteria actually is, do we get excited about what, what they are doing? Um, do we feel we want to go there to actually visit these workplaces to research them in more detail? Um, so over time, the list has grown to about 250 pioneers, um, of which we visited about 150 at the moment. So um, it's a continuous process and we, we continue to add or remove people and organizations from the list. Uh, based on what we learn over time. So it's it's really a personal learning journey based on do these companies do, do something specific that we would love to learn from uh, in order to share with the rest of the world to show that work can be organized quite differently than what we're used to. Yeah, so PMI is a global
1: organization, and we really try to bring in that global perspective. That innovation and creativity uh, are occurring in different places around the world. I know you mentioned that uh, you identified a company in Brazil. Can you identify some
0: of the other countries uh, where you identified companies? Yeah, so all over the world, actually. So we've been to pioneering organizations in uh, in China, in Australia, in uh, all over Europe, uh, North and South America. So it's, it's, it's spread nicely around the globe. Um, and our emphasis may be a little bit more on Western Europe because that's where we live. So it's easier to go to those uh, organizations. And, but over the past five years, we've traveled to all continents to research these companies.
1: Very cool. So what surprised you most when you started talking to organizations about their practices?
0: I knew that work wasn't really working, not for us and not from other people around the world. So I, in, in talking to family and friends, a lot of us know that not a lot of people are actually engaged or truly engaged at work. So we knew that the problem was there, but we didn't know that the solution was also out there that clearly already. So the fact that these organizations are really like challenging the status quo and not just trying it, but also showing that it's really successful to work in a different way, that it's much more fit for today's uh, environment. That was really astonishing to me, like that there's, and, and it's not, like every organization comes up with this completely new idea on how to do that, but it's um, a lot of common sense in how these organizations work. By, for example, getting rid of lots of hierarchy that get in the way of people doing their job. By, for example, creating much more freedom and tr- and giving employees much more trust, or splitting up those big um, traditional organizational structures into more entrepreneurial teams. Like it's not to me. It was very surprising that it's it sounds very logical to do it like that and that it's um over and over in in all those different places around the world you see similar approaches to 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 making work more fun and making work better so to that point are you
1: seeing that more technology organizations are creating these kinds of innovative organizations or are you seeing traditional organizations also shift the way in which they're organizing work and work structures within within
0: their groups yeah, so interestingly, like if we talk about pioneering organizations, we tend to look a lot at Silicon Valley. So we tend to look at, uh, at Tesla and Apple and Google and Netflix and these organizations. And yes, they're doing interesting things, but I think more in terms of their business models um, and the and the scale and how easily they seem to be able to achieve that. Um, but the more interesting ways of working are actually not in those uh, hip Silicon Valley startups, but they're much more in very traditional environments where you wouldn't expect such a thing to, to happen or to even be possible. So we, we have great examples of organizations that are in healthcare or diehard manufacturing companies, um, or government organizations that have reduced their hierarchies to an extreme extent that have created extremely flat organizations where people have lots of freedom and lots of decision-making power themselves. So, um, I think we tend to look at a lot of those usual suspects, but I think it's much more important to look at the more traditional environments because in the end, still most of the companies around the world are in a more traditional environment than these uh, these technology companies.
1: So you're corporate rebels and mythbusters, because you're busting the myth that only new organizations or startups or tech companies can adopt different ways of working. So I think that's a real insight uh, that... A lot of our listeners are going to latch onto, and and let me ask. There, there's also this concept of, uh, particularly in developing nations, of being able to leapfrog. So to learn from the experience of those that have kind of been there, done that, to create organizational structures that don't have those legacy systems. For the organizations that you've looked at in developing parts of the world, are you seeing that leapfrogging effect? Like
0: in the Western world, we have these large uh, conglomerates, these really big companies that are organized extremely traditionally. um, And they feel that there's not really a different way to uh, operate their organizations, which is far from the truth. So uh, I think the beauty of it is if you don't have, if your society is not yet developed to that uh, extent, um, and if if it's still more kind of a, Um, You have a lot of grassroots organizations. Um, I think that that is a good starting point and a better starting point than having these huge traditional structures in place already. Because, and I think this is important to understand, like this this new, what might be a new way of working for many companies is not a new thing that we as human beings have to learn. So um, the fact that people take responsibility, that people can self-organize and self-manage The fact that people can make their own decisions and take on a lot of responsibility. That's nothing new. Like in our personal lives, we do this all the time. When educating children, when buying a house, nobody decides that we should do that. Nobody tells us how to do that. But we still do it. And we organize based on motivation and passion and feeling of responsibility. But in traditional organizations, that idea that we can do that is kind of Um, um, taken apart or hidden between or behind all of those fixed structures so I think also for more developing countries um, or regions in the world um, what you do in a sense by creating these new types of structure is tapping into the human side of people like giving them freedom motivating them and allowing them to use that motivation in order to to take on responsibilities and uh, make decisions um, very autonomously so I think it's important to understand that it's not something radically new that we have to learn. It's just something we have to unlearn a lot in the way we organize in traditional companies.
1: Yeah, and that's an interesting philosophy because as I was looking at the uh, eight trends that you identified that reflect forward-thinking firms and, and hearing you talk about the diversity, so you've talked about different industries, you've talked about different levels of organizational maturity in terms of age of the organization, different geographies. How did you come up with these eight trends with such a diverse representation of
0: different types of organizations? Um, because, because the way that they approach this is very similar in many of these companies. Like there, as you mentioned, there's a huge variety in the types of companies that we've been researching. So you have small companies with maybe five or 10 or 20 people working in them. But we've also researched very large organizations, up to 80,000 employees, that work in very self-managed ways. Um, And I think the interesting thing there is that uh, the approaches are very similar. So it's not like the practices are not the same in every single company, but the principles behind it, the eight trends that we talk about are very similar in these organizations. And maybe it's good to to name just a few, but one of them, for example, is moving away from the traditional hierarchical structures and forming instead into a network of self-managing teams where you reduce all the layers of hierarchy that you would normally have in a traditional company. Or, for example, a focus on uh, purpose and values and not so much on profit and shareholder value. Um, Or another one is moving away from a place where it's all about secrecy and keeping information um, exclusively available in certain parts of the organization and instead creating radical transparency um, by opening up all kinds of information to people inside the organization. Yeah, and that's interesting because PMI has been evolving
1: its standards, for example, uh, to more of a principle-based focus so that you create guardrails that kind of keep people moving in the right direction, but you also give them some flexibility to be able to adapt to their particular circumstances, to their industry, to their customers, et cetera. So that concept of principles, I really like that. And there's one principle that you identify that I have to call out because – The concept of from profit to purpose and values is really what project-based organizations are all about because they provide this sense of shared mission, uh, even as people are working on separate project teams to deliver results for customers. So tell us a little bit about the evidence that you found porting towards a trend in that direction, organizations moving from profit to purpose and values.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think this is an important one. And we're seeing that now all around the world. And I think maybe even the the pandemic has put our traditional practices under a magnifying glass. So we're now seeing that the way many companies are focused on the short term, I think we're seeing that that doesn't really work for many companies. And for sure, it doesn't work for society at large. That's why many of the organizations that are, are pioneering, they are looking at organizations in a different way. And they've don't believe that organizations exist to make money. They exist. They believe that organizations exist for something bigger and more important than that. So they believe organizations should have meaning, should have a purpose. And making money short is extremely important for any organization um, because it helps you to make new investments to therefore grow your impact and also simply just to stay alive. But um, it's not the main focus of these organizations. It's not why they are there. And so... Interestingly, if you look at that, if organizations focus more strongly on their purpose and not so much on the short-term profits, they actually perform better, not just on the short-term, but also on the long-term. So they have um, a much higher life expectancy as an organization. They have much more uh, productivity and profits. This has been proven time and time again. I think it's more important that companies actually start adopting these, these ideas and these mindsets in order to change the way uh, companies work and in order for, to change society for the better
1: yeah and I think the pandemic really uh, showed how that can play out in organizations. I know uh, you know we've been watching the trends and whatnot, and there have been some organizations that have completely pivoted their business model, recognizing that you know if they did things differently, if they organized a bit differently, if they engaged their teams, they could pivot in a way that would deliver value to the community, which was struggling with certain elements, whether it was, you know, I can't get access to food or I can't get access to personal protective equipment. Um, and if we can pivot, then we can meet a broader need during this really turbulent time. So we're definitely, um, yeah, and
0: that's the interesting thing, right? Like, uh, uh, if you look, the pandemic is very interesting. If you look at new ways of working, because before the pandemic, most companies said, well, um, it's unable for our people to work from home and um, our complete company will come to a stop and uh, productivity will drop um, so much that we will probably go bankrupt this is this was like the first response you got when you talked about remote work or or home or working from a home office and um, uh, the pandemic has perfectly shown that for most companies it, it still works really well maybe even better if people work from home so let's see what happens when they start working in these more hybrid models where people come to the office when they want and need and otherwise work from home and be more focused and and be more productive there. Uh, So over just a period of like maybe 12 to 18 months, a lot of companies have learned that one element of new ways of working, remote work, um, might actually be beneficial to them. So therefore, we also see quite a lot of interest now from companies to also move beyond just the remote work and look also at how can we um, distribute decision making how we can we uh, maybe work in a less hierarchical structures how can we give people even more freedom in how they make their decisions
1: given that organizations are now looking at whatever the new normal is or the path forward is um, how is that changing your conversation with some of the
0: organizations that you're exploring the interesting thing about these pioneering organizations is that they're always on the lookout for improving their way of working so it's not really like they've created this n- new structure this new way of working that then perfectly is fit for the future whatever happens in that future so they're it's not a fixed state that they end up in so they're constantly challenging themselves finding ways to um, work even um, better in a more engaging way than they were before so it's a continuous exploration actually of uh, trying to do things in a better way. Right, and along
1: those lines, uh, PMI is exploring things that are impacting the future of work. For example, uh, in the project management space, uh, people are developing artificial intelligence and machine learning capabilities to take over some aspects of uh, project management functions. And we're looking at other trends like that. What are some of the trends that you are looking at uh, that may be
0: further out on the horizon yeah, let me, let me maybe give one example to to make it really tangible. Um, one of the most pioneering organizations we visited and we've been researching over the past five years is a Chinese manufacturing company called Hire. Um, and they're the largest white goods manufacturer in the world and we we're truly astonished by how they've transformed their organization from a very traditional hierarchical model into an extremely entrepreneurial uh, network of teams. So it's about, just the story starts about 15 years ago when the CEO, um, Zhang Rumin, feels that the, the way of working that the company back then has is getting in the way of doing good business. So they're too slow, decisions aren't made properly. Um, there's a lot of bureaucracy that, that get people caught in their, in their ways of working and, and nothing really happens. There's not a lot of innovation, etc., etc. So probably some frustrations that a lot of people uh, recognize. And they felt, okay, we need to do something different. So if we want to be successful in the future as a company, we need to get rid of those traditional structures and we need to get rid of that bureaucracy. So they split up those that big organization that employs 80,000 people. And they split up that one big organization into more than 4,000 what they call micro enterprises. So these become really small companies, mostly 10 to 15 people run one of those smaller companies and they act as a network of startups. So they have internal contracting mechanisms. Um, and therefore, there's not a lot of hierarchy needed because technology allows these teams to um, create alignment, to collaborate, um, to, to make easy contracts with one another. Um, so instead of having this whole traditional structure with a lot of middle management layers that are doing the alignment of work and coordination of work, Now you have technology taking care of that part. Yeah, and I think you also raise a
1: point that we've been emphasizing with our uh, members within PMI, and that's the concept of dynamic learning capabilities, particularly if you're working in an environment that either leverages technology or will be impacted by technology. So instead of uh, thinking that, okay, I know blockchain because I know what it is now, understanding that that technology is going to evolve and your learning capabilities need to continue to evolve as that technology does so it's not a one one and done as they say
0: no no and the interesting thing is like what i think makes these companies so successful in doing that is to allow people um to pursue their passions and so we did a big research study on these eight trends so how present are these eight trends in today's um, average organizations. So and we, we've seen that one of the trends that we talk about is a move from job descriptions and job titles into a um, new situation where you focus much more on talents and mastery. So what do people like to do and how can we give them the opportunity to continuously develop that? Uh, the interesting thing about it that just 33% of the people in that research felt that uh, they could use their main talents in their day-to-day work. So 67% of the people feel they cannot use their main talents in their day-to-day work, which is painful for those people and their motivation, but also painful for organization because um, apparently we're not tapping into the potential and the talent of people working in in our companies. So these progressive organizations focus on what is it that you like to do as an individual? Where do you get excited about? And how can we give you the opportunity and the freedom to develop those skills um, along the way? So, and when you give people the opportunity to follow their passion, you don't need to tell them, well, now you have to learn this or uh, follow this career path, or you can just leave it up to people because they can follow their passions and it will take them in various places that you cannot predict upfront, but it will probably lead to good things. And they're just not just learning one single technology and then kind of holding on to that for the sake of their career. But they continuously try to develop because they simply love the subjects or love the Uh, technology that they like like to dive into. So this continuous exploration, I think, can only be uh, possible if you actually give people the freedom to find and develop their talents.
1: So let me ask you, because you mentioned uh, at the start of the podcast that the list is constantly changing. That means that some companies fall off. What causes that shift from companies being innovative and kind of leading uh, the way forward and they either stall or fall off the
0: rails. What, what happens? It's important to separate two things. So on the one hand, the bucket list is a, comp- or a list of companies that we want to research. If we don't think they're doing interesting things anymore, then we just uh, take them off the list because we want to research other companies in that time. Uh, but there are still companies that are falling back into more traditional ways of working, like companies that have been completely self-managing. Uh, for example, when ownership changes, they go back into more traditional structures because a new owner might not understand this new way of working and might also not see the benefits and then goes back into more traditional uh, working environment. So a change of ownership could be one, a crisis could be another one because in, ter- in times of crisis, people um, and some organizations feel they need to uh, regain control um, or kind of have the reflex to go back into more traditional approaches uh, that are maybe more, more proven Um, they feel. As we get ready to close, I want to shift a little bit
1: to, we have stakeholders out there who are interested in driving change. They may feel that they're trapped in bureaucratic cultures right now. What can these individuals do to leverage your insights in their organizations?
0: Yeah. So first of all, let me clarify that you don't have to be the CEO to make a change like this happen. Sure. It's easier. You have more power. You can change bigger, bigger things, from the very start but we've seen many companies transform from the bottom up or from somewhere in between where a manager or a department leader decides to do things differently or uh, project leaders feel that the way of working in their project is going to be completely different and more progressive than in other parts of the organization and there's a lot of tools and practices and ways of working and uh, things out there already that people can explore like um, when you go to our blog corporaterebels.com it's, if you don't have anything to do for the next two years, there's a lot of free con- free content to, to learn about these pioneers and their practices and their transformation strategies. Um, we've, we've, we've also recently launched an online academy where we put people that want to learn about new ways of working in direct contact with pioneers that have been doing it for years or sometimes even decades to learn from them directly through lots of online courses. So I think there's more and more tools available out there uh, these days. And then it comes comes down to learning about these these practices, these new ways of working, and then experimenting a hell of a lot with it to try to make it fit to your work environment.
1: So PMI also has a large population of younger professionals who are maybe still in school or just starting out in their careers and who are going to work in some of these more traditional organizations.
0: What advice would you offer them? For young people, it's important that they have a lot of opportunities to make changes Um, because of their fresh uh perspective they're most of the time also not um um, kind of uh frustrated first of all which i think is a great start when you want to transform organizations to not feel that that much frustration Um, but also to not too easily um conform to certain standards so to come in with a fresh perspective, to 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 use your common sense, to try to change things for the better. For example, if you're continuously in meetings all day, for some people that might already be their normal situation because they've experienced it for 10, 20 or 30 years. Um, if you're a newcomer, you're probably wondering why the hell are we doing this? And then looking for new solutions and uh, new approaches to change that for the better. I think young people have a very powerful uh, position in changing that. Also simply because they are the talents of the future and if companies want to attract them, if they are very um, clear about what it is that they want from an an organization and from an employer, uh, they can make big changes in that as well. So um, I would once again have the same advice, like educate yourself around new ways of working to understand what can actually be done different to work better and create more engaging, more fun work environments and then start experimenting, uh, maybe even on a very small scale, but then um, over time you will see that you will gain or get success very quickly and then try to scale up that, tri- that change that you're, that you're trying to make. So I'd like to close this on a personal note.
1: Uh, I've watched several of uh, the video presentations that you and Yust have done. And you talk about the fact that when you left your jobs, people were like, are you crazy? What are you doing? Was it worth it? And if so, why?
0: Yeah, it was the best, uh, it sounds a bit lame, but it was the best decision ever. Um, simply because we decided to not conform to that uh, frustrating status quo and we couldn't picture ourselves working there for 40 40 more years Um, and the interesting thing about it nowadays we experience freedom autonomy, uh, entrepreneurship in our own company so all of these things that we were missing before we can we now have the the opportunity to do that also with a topic that we thoroughly enjoy and, and are really passionate about so um back then it definitely sounded like a stupid idea. Like we quit our jobs. We had no no money except for a bit of savings that would maybe last six to 12 months. Um, we had no idea of what kind of business model we would have. We just wanted to research these companies and share with the world what we learned and just hope that something cool will come out of it. And um, I think that definitely worked. So um, we, now it sounds like the best decision ever back then. That definitely wasn't the case. But over time, it has evolved into something really cool where we can follow our passion and our talent and do exactly those things that we see in those pioneering organizations as well. Pim de Moray, thank you very
1: much for sharing your expertise and insight with our center stage audience today. And for our center stage audience, I want to thank you for continuing to engage with us in this exploration of the future of work. I'm Steve Townsend, PMI Networks Engagement Facilitator, and it's been my pleasure to sit in for Joe Cahill today. Thank you very much. Bye-bye.
2: Hi, this is Joe Cahill again. Uh, to wrap up the podcast, so Pim's interview highlighted some key points that I want to re-emphasize because they're really important. Well, number one here, anyone can enable change from people just entering the workforce to innovators at the staff level. Two, innovation and change in structures and ways of working are happening everywhere around the globe and in all types of organizations, including longtime traditional organizations as well as startups. Number three, the future of work, whether it's changing organizational structures. The cultures or the ways of working themselves, they require all of us to embrace continuous learning. It also means we have to unlearn or let go of things that made us successful in the past because those factors may actually hold us back from ensuring our future relevance. I hope that you enjoyed this Center Stage podcast and that you will continue exploring the future of work with
0: us. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Center Stage. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe to the show and leave a rating or review. We'd love your feedback. To hear more episodes of Center Stage, visit Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or your favorite podcast service. Or head to pmi.org slash centerstage.